You're listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. Before we get started today, I'd like to ask our dairy farming audience to take a few moments to go online to dairybusiness.com protein and complete the survey. We are conducting this survey related to feed rations. Specifically, we'd like to know more about the protein ingredients that you and other producers commonly use. So, if you are a dairy owner or employee and take a few minutes to complete this survey for us, we will send you a $10 gift code from UtterTech to use as you wish for any online order. Our guest today is a dairy producer and industry leader from Northern New York State. John Greenwood farms near Canton, New York in St. Lawrence County on the state's northern tier. John and his wife, Linda, milk some 1,500 Holsteins. He's also been a leader in local, regional, and statewide organizations. John, welcome to Dairy Voice. Let's, uh, let's begin by having you tell us a little bit about farming in northern New York. You've really got some unique soil, climate, and of course, weather considerations. Yeah, New York, northern New York is, is unique. We're right up just south of the St. Lawrence River, so right up on the Canadian border. Uh, you know, in the news, you'll hear about the big snow in Buffalo or on the Tug Hill. That's south of us, so we're actually uh, north of the, the snow belt, but we do get the cold. Uh, the soils up here are typically a little uh, heavier, although we do have some good glacial tills, but, but drainage is a has always been an issue, and the short growing season. Our uh, growing season is quite a bit shorter than uh, even just Syracuse. Well, as we as we say, uh, you're not north of the Arctic Circle, but on a clear day in the winter, you can see it from there. Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> uh, well, to help farmers in the region, uh, you're part of the Northern New York Ag Research and Development Program, which deals with some of these unique uh, factors. Uh, in fact, you're, you're co-chair right now. In a recent news release, I saw that the region has a higher than average participation by young farmers and smaller farmers too. Uh, what, what's happening in the region with dairy and what kinds of projects are you involved with? Uh, so, so the Northern New York Research Program uh, has been around really since the 1960s uh, and it started off uh, focusing on, on drainage uh, because uh, it was recognized that that was a, a limiting factor to uh, to our soils up here with the short growing season. We needed to be able to get on earlier in the spring and be able to harvest the crops in the fall. So that was kind of how it got started. Uh, over the years, we've done a wide range of research that's been really directed by, by farmers. Uh, you know, if they had an issue, um, we would throw out the, you know, what if to the researchers and say, can you come up with a proposal? Uh, if they came up with a proposal we'd like, we would fund it. Uh, today, actually, we're back focusing a, a lot, as far as dairy is concerned, on drainage. Uh, with all the concerns around nutrient management and uh, runoff and the amount of tile that's been installed, uh, there's a focus by environmentalists on tile because they can measure what comes out of that pipe. And our concern is that tile is crucial to farming in northern New York, and we need to make sure that uh, we, we have the science behind any any decisions that are made. So we've actually funded research uh, on drainage 
uh, taking. And in this most recent case, we've got uh, a field on either side of the road. Uh, one field, uh, we're collecting all the surface water and measuring the phosphorus and nitrogen that's coming off. Uh, the other side of the road is tile drained, and we're collecting the surface and tile drainage water that's coming off to, to see what impacts uh, tile has, good or bad. Uh, you know, we want to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem, but we don't want uh, regulators coming in and saying, you know, this is the problem without having the facts. And uh, the research so far is is very interesting, uh, ongoing, but uh, I, I think, uh, you know, that's the type of thing that is very much needed uh, to support farming in northern New York. Well, it sounds like a great program, and, and we'll watch with interest uh, when some of that research results are released. Let's circle back to your farm in particular. Kind of give us an overview, give us a tour, cows, acres, crops, facilities. Uh, tell us about, about your dairy that you and Linda work on. So currently today we're uh, in a facility that we uh, started building in 1997. I have a little over 1,500 cows and, and young stock. Probably 12, 1300 had a young stock cropping about 37, 35, 3700 acres of, of ground. Uh, so we were growing the feed for our cows and also growing uh, corn, uh, grain corn for our own needs and, and for sale. Our labor force is, is a diverse labor force of both, uh, you know, I guess Hispanic and, and local. Labor is and has been uh, one of the biggest problems I've seen in, in dairy right from the start, uh, and it is certainly not getting any better. A couple of questions come to mind. Uh, talk about the hay crop or alfalfa or mixed grasses that you, that you are able to raise in, in your, uh, on your land. So we, we grow uh, typically an alfalfa grass mix. Uh, our, our mix is alfalfa and reeds canary. Uh, there's a fair amount of fescue being grown uh, with, with alfalfa. Uh, very little clear-seeded alfalfa, just because of the risk of winter kill. Uh, oh, probably 15 years ago, we were pretty much straight alfalfa-based. We're trying to go that way and had a, had a winter where it wiped us out pretty good. And that Actually, uh, two years ago, we had, had winter kill real bad. It even killed uh, grass. So uh, mixed Seedings are, are the norm in northern New York. Corn is, uh, you know, shorter day day corn. Uh, we're we're planting BMR corn for the silage, and we're using the the 95 90 day BMR corns, uh, which are, are pushing it even even at that uh, to to get get mature. Um, our, our experience is that a, a 97 day BMR is probably more equivalent to a 100 day uh, conventional. And some some years you need some breaks with the weather to get that done. Yes, I mean last year was uh, you know we had a very dry year, so we had a short crop and uh, the crop was coming along and we had just got started uh, chopping and we had uh, three days of uh, hard frost, so the corn went from you know proper moisture to uh, drying down extremely quick, and so then you know it's a full scale ahead and which can be challenging when you're looking at a lot of acres. We're not really a crop show here, but just one more thing about your cropping. Give people an idea of kind of when your last frost uh, in the spring might occur and when you can start planting, and then how early you have to look, at, look out for frost in the fall. 
Well, that that's really variable. Uh, you know, we have planted. Uh, I think the earliest we've ever planted is the 26th of April. Uh, but then there's uh, other years where we don't get haven't been able to plant any corn until the middle to to end of May. And frost can can come any time from the well in the more recent years probably the the middle of September on you can expect a, a hard frost. Today, consumers crave more than high-quality dairy products. They also have expectations on animal care. I'm Jeff Rosie, Technical Director for AHV. We are an innovative animal health company developing products based on the science of quorum sensing. Our cutting-edge portfolio ranges from calf health to udder health and have helped dairies around the globe reduce their reliance on antibiotics. Learn more about us at ahvint.com and find AHV USA on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, talk a little bit about your and your wife's role in the in the dairy. You've you're both very actively involved. You've kind of split up the the, the responsibilities. Just just tell us about that. Yeah. So my wife, yeah, is very involved in the dairy. She takes care of the, of the cows and the employees associated it up in the barn. So that's. You know, she takes care of all the breeding, the the milking, the the calves, and all that. My role is more the overseeing the feeding, uh, the the crops, the financial end of it. Our son is also involved, and in, right now he's running the day to day, the outside crew. But yeah, my wife has been uh, very much involved. Uh, how old is your son? Did he go away to school, or go off the farm to work, or did he start with you after high school? Yeah. No, my, my my son got done with high school. He went to Cornell. When he got done with Cornell, he went and worked on a farm in Pennsylvania for a year and, and then came home. He's in, in his upper 30s right now, you know, so well on his way to, to be, being in, very involved. And just say his name for us, too. Uh, Ted Greenwood. You make a lot of milk. You ship to DFA. And like many co-op members, uh, particularly in the Northeast, but around the country, during this past COVID year, you had some production limits imposed. Uh, how, how did you manage that? And, and uh, what, what sort of changes did you find yourself needing to make to, to live with those base requirements? So when, when DFA uh, instituted the base requirement, I, I think the first thing we did, we, we called anything that should be, should be called do not breed and a little aggressive, but didn't go overboard, kind of thought we would, uh, you know, it would play itself out, not, not knowing how long this, this was going to go on and, and looking more at the average milk price than the overbase price. But as this has gone on, we have uh, culled a little more heavily. And also we, had, we were short on feed last year with, with the dry year, so that put an added emphasis. So we, we have uh, culled and cut back cow numbers that way. Uh, other than that, we haven't uh, really done anything. I, we did not buy any base. I keep maybe too optimistically hoping it will it, the base will go away. I'm I'm very much a a free market person and and really think we need to let the market determine who makes milk, where they make milk, and not try to uh, put uh, limits in place or get get government or anybody else involved in trying to determine. Uh, who and how you should be making milk. 
and I'd like to talk more about that in just a moment. But for right now, when you're talking about scaling back the herd, you did that with fewer head, but you still kept the herd at kind of what I would call a high performing level. You, you didn't scale back nutrition or try to try to slow down your, your whole milking herd. I've always believed that when, when milk prices are high, you should be treating your cows and feeding your cows the same way you do when milk price is low. Um, I don't want to put in an ingredient um, just to put it in. It, it's got to make sense. And if it makes sense when the milk price is high, it should make sense when the milk price is low uh, or else it's probably not needed. Uh, so we, you know, have, have never kind of responded to to milk price or milk limits based but with a feeding strategy. It's always uh, let's get the most milk for the lowest cost that we can, you know, maximize dollars. It's, and it doesn't matter whether the milk price is high or low, let's maximize the dollar. When you were talking about facilities, we didn't mention your your freestyle setup. Uh, what, what sort of uh, stall barn do you have and, and how do you manage bedding and, and the like? It, we're uh, uh, it's a freestyle free barn, of course, with a, a double twenty parallel parlor. We're bedding actually with manure solids. We put in a digester oh probably six seven years ago, uh, and we've been using manure solids since then uh, on mattresses. Before that, we were using sawdust on the mattresses. The manure solids have worked out very well for us. Our hawk scores have increase dramatically. Uh, hawks look, look much better. Cows are more comfortable. We do have insulated barns uh, because of the climate, so we've got insulation uh, in the ceilings, uh, but curtains, with walls, and, and lots of fans because it does get hot in the summer. You know, we get cold in the winter, but we'll, we'll get in the 90s during the summer too. So, And with some humidity too, I'll bet. Yes. We, we do not use... Uh, uh, misting, we tried that for a while, but in the summer when it was humid, it just didn't seem to work so well. So our, our focus has been on, on moving air. So we have lots of fans to, to really keep the air, air moving through the barns. Again, just uh, describe your milking center. What, what sort of parlor setup do you have? Uh, we have a double 20. It's a, a, a basement parlor, fully automated with the uh, uh, ID and uh, all that stuff. Uh, we four years ago, went with the SCR system for uh, uh, heat detection and rumination. Uh, that system has been a phenomenal system. Paid back, uh, you know, we were figuring a three or four year paid back, payback and the payback was, was way quicker than that. Our, our uh, preg rates went up, our repo costs went way down, just a, a tremendous system. Let's circle back to your milk marketing. Uh, you believe in, in a free market approach. Uh, do you use any risk management tools, either the government programs or directly in the markets with futures and options? Uh, no, we have not um, used any, any risk management other than, uh, I've always said, a, a strong financial balance sheet is, is the best risk management tool you can have. I guess our philosophy has always been if you're, if you're buying insurance or paying for protection, there's a cost to that. Why, why leave that cost on the table? I, I want uh, anything in my pocket that I can get. Uh, over time, if you can ride the market, you'll always end up ahead. Whereas if you're buying insurance or play, playing the market, you're basically locking in a profit maybe to, to, to meet a, a payments, but um, you're probably leaving some money on the table.
Speaking of your your financial approach, uh, and I'm sure everybody can appreciate a strong balance sheet being your fundamental, what sort of, do you get involved in any of the uh, uh, farm management uh, programs offered by Cornell or or farm credit, uh, where you get into benchmarking or analyzing your your financials and your performance? Yeah, we're we're involved with um, with uh, Cornell with a, a discussion group, which is made up primarily of farms in New York, but also includes some from uh, neighboring states. Well, actually, even out in uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and some other states in the past. Uh, I found that very beneficial, very interesting to to talk to other producers in other parts of the country, other states, other parts of the state, just finding out how people are doing things, and and it's helpful. Getting started, I always found that that was helpful to visit visit farms. Farm. That's one thing about farmers. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of trade secrets. It seems everybody's willing to tell you the mistakes they made and what 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 they what what's working for them. And that's one of the great things about uh, the farm community. You mentioned getting started, and and you got started in dairying uh, a little bit atypically. Uh, not like a lot of folks can take over a family operation. Tell, tell us how you got started. Yeah, so I, I did not grow up on a farm um, and actually came up to Northern New York to, to go to school and uh, needing to pay for college. Drove around stopping at farms looking looking for work and got a job on a, on a farm working part-time and uh, stayed. <laughs> After got done with school, I was there four years and uh, the, the farmer wanted to move uh, out of the North country. They were originally from Switzerland and actually moved out to Oklahoma. And he had uh, faith in me and, and financed me. And that allowed me to get started with, uh, with 70 cows, no young stock and a couple hundred acres of land, but it, it was a start for that. I'm ever indebted to him. And you're still on that place. We're still on that place. Obviously it's, it's, it's grown from that couple hundred acres originally to sure. We now own uh, 7,000 acres altogether, and uh, you know a whole lot more cows. It's been it's been a, a great experience. We talked about uh, your organizational activity at the top of the conversation, but you've also been involved in local government uh, on your county board, and also you've served as chair of the Northeast Dairy Producers Association. Talk a little bit about your organizational work off the farm and what that's meant to you, what you wanted to accomplish, uh, wh- why you invest the time. Yeah, I guess from, from the start, I kind of got into uh, into organizations. The, the first organization was the Farm Bureau at the local level and on to the state level and actually on some national committees. And I guess I always felt that, you know, if you wanted to, to make change or kind of direct where the industry was going, you needed to be involved and rather than staying at home and complaining about things, uh, get involved. So I did. And, and I think, you know, hopefully, uh, have made a difference. I know I learned a lot. Uh, once again, it, it not growing up on a farm and then farming in Northern New York, being involved in some of these activities, organizations allowed me to, to get out of the North country, travel the country, uh, and and talk to other farmers. Uh, when I was involved with Farm Bureau, I was actually a, a state vice president for a while, uh, and on the uh, a- National Dairy Committee, uh, we would travel to other parts of the state, and I would always go out a day or two early and rent a car and, and go out and just start driving around and stop in and visit farms and, and 
as I said earlier, farm, farmers are very willing to share. And it was just great to see how, you know, farms in California did things. And it opens your eyes rather than just going and visiting your, your neighbor farm. Even further than that, uh, you know, the environmental side uh, has, has always been a concern to me uh, and the regulations coming down. So, you know, I've been very involved in the CAFO regulations in New York. And I think that's uh, trying to make sure that regulations are um, in there for the right reason. You know, you, if the concern is water quality, let's put practices in place that will protect water quality, not just put a practice in place because it sounds good. You know, I think in New York, we have, uh, you know, a pretty rigorous CAFO regulations, but they are workable. And we have been able to work with the, the DEC. Uh, and I think they understand, for instance, that uh, winter, a winter ban on spreading, a uh, calendar ban on spreading is not the way to go. It needs to be condition-based. If March is a good month, because the ground conditions are right to spread manure, then you should spread manure. If March is wet and snow-covered uh, and it's not a good month, then you shouldn't do it. But it should be con- condition-based, not uh, not calendar-based. And so those types of things, I think, by being involved and, and, and talking with the regulators and, and, and being involved with people, you can, you can make a difference. I think it does take time. Uh, a lot of farmers are reluctant to take time and get away, but... If, if we don't, as, as producers get out there, there's lots of other people that think that they know better about how we should farm and how we should do things, and uh, they're more than willing to step up to the plate and, and uh, pass laws. Well, John, that's a, I think that's a great way to wind up this conversation as our, as our time passes. We really appreciate you telling us about your daring and your organizational leadership. Uh, It's been great to talk with you. Thank you very much, John Greenwood at Canton, New York. Thank you very much. If our listeners enjoyed this episode, we hope you give us a good rating on your podcast app. This is your host, Joel Hastings, for Dairy Voice at dairybusiness.com.